So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, I'm going to invite you to turn with me. Uh, we're in this series on relationships where, that we've been primarily looking at the home, and uh, we'll continue that series today. So learning to love is the name of this, this the sermon series, and then today we're going to talk about this subject is a truth that binds. In other words, it's in relationships that if you want to uh, build a strong relationship, and especially a relationship that will last over a lifetime, then, then there has to be truth. Truth is the, the source of a relationship where there's trust and where there's great, great, um, well, here we go. Okay, where there's, where there's trust uh, builds a great relationship. So today we're going to talk about this issue where truth binds. And so I'm going to have you turn to two groups of scripture if you have your Bibles uh, or electronic devices, whether you use an iPhone, uh, version, whatever. I'm going to have you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, uh, which we've been in for the last several weeks. And then I'm going to have you turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, we're going to use Abraham's life to try to flesh this out, to try to understand this issue about trust and how this issue about trust trust or truth binds us together in relationships. It's what makes marriages strong. It's what makes parenting strong. It's what makes relationships strong. And so maybe you're like me, but this last week I was surprised when one of the nation's most trusted news anchors, Brian Williams, uh, had to step down. It came out that he fabricated a story or he exaggerated a story. Actually, he lied about a story in 2003 when he was in, in Iraq. He claimed many different times from 2003 on that he was in a Chinook helicopter and his, his helicopter was shot down. As a result of that, they spent a harrowing night uh, in, in the desert of Africa, uh, Africa Iraq, and, uh, and then they made it out. And so all of a sudden, the story came out. He, re he, he remembered the story again. He said the story, and an, an Army vet says, you know what? Uh, we're just going to have to call you on that. We, we, were, we, were, we were your pilot. That didn't happen. And so as a result of that, because, you know, all it takes is one lie, right? All it takes is one lie. And as a result of that, it launched this investigation. And what they found was this. They says, you know what? There's been other areas that they found out that he's exaggerated uh, in, in Katrina. Uh, he exaggerated some of the events at Katrina that he experienced. He, he didn't get dysentery. Uh, he, wasn't, he didn't watch a body float by his hotel. He stayed in the Ritz-Carlton in the French Quarter. The French, the, the, the French Quarter didn't see any flooding. So he said that couldn't have happened. And several other stories that he has told over the years, it came out that, you know what, he, it didn't happen. He lied. And as a result of that, you see that this man that we once trusted because of some words that he used, because of a lie that he told, now all of a sudden he loses a career, is in the process of losing a career. He had to take a leave of absence. And, and you realize that this issue of truth, this issue of trust, truth binds us together. The Bible has a lot to say about being a truth teller. The Bible has a lot to say about how truth, trust is, is, is critical in a relationship. The Bible would define lying as this intention to mislead. Whether you withhold some of the truth, whether you exaggerate, whether you conceal part of the truth, or whether you tell a whole lie. In other words, you can lie by falsify, falsifying information. Uh, you can lie by not telling the truth c completely. You can deliberately hold back part of the truth. You can lie by just telling your side of the story so it makes you look right and makes you look better. And you, can, you can even lie without ever saying a word. There's not even saying anything. And when you look at this issue of relationships, you realize that sometimes love is hard. Sometimes love is not always easy. Sometimes love is not always fun. Sometimes love, it takes courage uh, to have some of those hard conversations. And sometimes love is difficult and tough. And But the Bible says that if we're going to be people that God has called us to be, then we have to learn to be honest 
are truth teller, tellers with the people around us. And so Jesus would say this. Jesus would say, the, the problem isn't so much with, with your mouth. The problem is with your heart. The problem is with the motivation that causes you to lie, the motivation that causes you to say those things. And so Jesus would say this, it is way more about a heart issue than it is about a, a mouth issue. And that if we're going to become people of integrity, there's some things that we're going to have to learn. There's going to be some things that we're going to have to deal with, and we're going to have to deal with the heart issue, not so much the mouth issue. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, we're going to read this again. We've read this every week through this series in Learning to Love. And then we're going to look at Genesis chapter 12. So here's what the scripture says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh, learning to love. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The way that we love, the way that we show respect is by telling the truth. The way that we love and the way that we show respect in, in, in relationships is this issue of the truth. Till we learn to be people of integrity, we learn to be people of truth tellers. So I have two questions for you this morning before we take communion together as a church family. The questions are this, uh, why do we lie? And then how do we tell the truth? Why do we lie? And then how do we tell the truth? We're going to deal with both of those questions this morning before we take communion together. The first one is this. What is the motivation? Why do we lie? Why do people lie? Uh, lie? You see, Abraham at the age of, of 75, his wife Sarah uh, was 65. But at the age of 75, Abraham uh, was spending some time with God. God called Abraham to just pick up uh, from where he was. Abraham was, was financially very successful. He had lived in that area all of his life. His family and friends were around him. His support structure was around him. There are a lot of comfort factors involved in there. And so God calls him to go to a land uh, that he would show him. And so Sarah follows him. And so we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. And we're just going to walk through this story. So maybe we can answer that question together. Why, what motivates us to lie? Uh, verse, um, Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, talking about Abraham, and they sent him away with his wife Sarah and all that he had. Now listen, Abraham at this point had done everything God had told him to do. He had done exactly what God had told him to do. And God had told him to pick up and leave, and, and Abraham picks up and leave. His wife supports him. They go together, and they end up in Canaan. Now listen, Canaan, major problems in Canaan. Um, there, there's a famine going on in the land. Now listen, in, in the Old Testament, whenever you saw that there was a famine, that, that you know that, you know what, there's a test. And there, there's a test. In other words, a famine is, is a time when the, the rain doesn't fall and the crops don't grow and the sheep grow thin and, and people go hungry and all of a sudden you start struggling. So Abraham lands in, in Abram or, or, or uh, Abraham gets to Canaan and all of a sudden they're in an economic downturn. The economy is not going well. The unemployment is real high. The, the stock market has crashed. The economy has fallen apart. And Abraham begins wondering, can he care for his family? Can he feed his family? Can he, can he provide for his family? You see, famine is symbolic in the Old Testament. It's symbolic of this. Famine is a time of stress in your life. Famine can be a, a time of loss. It can be a time of deep hurt. It can be a time of betrayal. It can be a time of dryness. It can be a time of great struggle in your life. A famine can be a, a test in your life to where you're at a crossroads, to where you have to decide, am I going to trust self or am I going to trust God? Am I going to trust the plan that God has for me or am I going to trust myself? You see, Abraham had to make that decision. Now, here's what Abraham does. Abraham decides to trust self. 
Abraham decides, you know what? We're headed to Egypt. Egypt, the economy is off the charts. The, the economy is doing well. Uh, there's plenty of food. There's plenty of jobs. There's plenty of income. The problem with that is this. God never told Abraham to go to Egypt. You can't find anywhere in the scripture in Abraham's story where Abraham prayed about it, asked God what he should do. You can find none of that. Now, here's the interesting thing. Abraham makes this decision based upon fear, not with God. The other thing is this, is Egypt is about 275 miles away from Canaan. Now listen, they didn't travel like we did, in, in, like we do in our time. I mean, 275 miles, that was weeks, maybe even months of travel. And so Abraham tells his wife, we're going to Egypt. And so they load up, uh, they take their support group with them, they take their family with them, and they head off 275 miles away to Egypt. But the problem was, this is the first time in Abraham's story that he's traveling without the guidance of God. You, you never see him ask God. You never even see him pray about it. fact is, when he went to Sarah and says, we're going to Egypt, he never said, like the other times in his life, God, God's told us. God's asked us. You don't see any of that. And so now he's traveled 275 miles without the protection of God, verse 13 or, or verse 11. It's just so interesting to me. When he was about to enter Egypt, Abraham knew he had a dilemma on his hands. They had traveled 275 miles. And he knew there's something that he needs to tell his wife. And it says, uh, when he was about to enter Egypt, right like right before he saw the sign, welcome to Egypt sign, He says, oh, i got to have a difficult conversation. And he starts off like many people do. Like, you know, when you're going to have a difficult conversation, you want to start with a compliment, right? So watch this. So, so he said to his wife, Sarah, you're hot. You know, I, I just want you to know that you're a woman, beautiful in appearance. I think you're gorgeous. I think you're beautiful. So he starts off, and, that's a big and, by the way, and... When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but they will let you live. Abraham knew that, knew that 270 miles away. And all of a sudden he tells her, you know what? You know what's going to happen? They're going to see how, how beautiful you are. And they're going to kill me. In other words, it's not going to go well for me. And they're going to let you live. I mean... I mean, all of a sudden, you, you start seeing what is unfolding a, a lie, or you see what's folding as a half-truth. And what seemed like such a simple answer to a complex situation now becomes deeply, deeply involved. Abraham is, is in a famine. Abraham is in a test. And what Abraham does is he begins to compromise. In other words, what you see when you start looking at this as we read forward, Father, is, is what you see in his life, you begin to see that all of a sudden Abraham only cared about himself. He really was trying to resort. He was really trying to save himself. In other words, when you and I lie, it's a selfish act. When a person lies, they only care about themselves. When a person lies, they only care about their comfort. When a person lies, they only care about it going well for them. 
That's why Proverbs talks about this issue of lie, that when we lie to someone else, it is, it is an attitude of hate. It is not an attitude of love. It is an attitude of betrayal. Verse 13, watch this. He says, so then they will kill me, but let you live. Verse 13, say, you are my sister. In other words, I need you to lie for me. I need you to be in this cover-up uh, to save my life. So say you are my sister, that it may go well with me. So if you go through, back through this verse, you can see all the me's and the my's that, that, uh, that Abraham used. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. In other words, now Abraham is, is bringing other people into the lie. He's bringing other people into the, 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 the cover-up. And, and this man is stooped to a lie, and he's willing to sacrifice his wife's virtue. I mean, in other words, just so we're tracking, this, this is like a half-truth. Um, Sarah was his half-sister. So a, a lie is a deliberate attempt, just a biblical definition of a lie, is a biblical attempt to mislead. So you can lie... Two ways. You can falsify information. You can conceal the truth. You can tell a half truth. In other words, you don't tell the whole truth. Sometimes you can mislead or sometimes you can lie but concealing the truth or you can just tell your side. And all of a sudden you see what Abraham is doing. And when you look at this, he didn't care about his wife's virtue. He didn't care what the position and the situation he's putting his wife in. And so Abraham's lie temporarily worked well. I mean, when you lie, there's some immediate results. But in the long term, there's some deep consequences. Verse 14, when Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with, with Abraham. So, it, so it's going well for old Abe right now, right? I mean, his plans worked. It's going well. And he had sheep. In other words, he's getting a dowry. So he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. And so everything is going really, really well for Abraham at this point. I mean, after all, she's his sister, right? A lie is a deliberate attempt to mislead. And Abraham, Abraham becomes important again. I just wonder that when God called him away from his profession and his career and all the wealth and all the comfort, that there is this obscurity that Abraham just wanted to be important again. Abraham just wanted to be significant again. And all of a sudden, Abraham is getting all this stuff. But down deep inside, can you imagine the guilt? Can you imagine the mental anguish that he's feeling? He's accepting all of these gifts under false pretenses. He's separated from his wife. He's lonely. He has to be concerned about Sarah's welfare. You know, here's what's interesting about this story. I decided this last week to go all the way through Abraham and Sarah's story and just find out what kind of wife was she. I read the story several times, and here's the interesting thing. When you go back over their marriage, their life together, you find that Sarah was totally and completely supportive of her husband. Fact is, you can never find a time or a, a place that Sarah got, uh, got to the place where she complained or, or she had a complaint. 
when she was 65 years ago, years of, years of age, and Abraham is 75 years of age, and Abraham comes in and says, Honey, God has called us to go to a, to a, go to a distant land. We're going to walk away from all of this, and we're going to trust God. You just see that Sarah just is so supportive of him. She just loads up and loads, loads everything up, and she follows him. I mean, when you look at Sarah's life, you look in the marriage, that she obediently followed him. And now, after years of marriage, she's engaged because of a lie to Pharaoh. Now, fortunately for Sarah, and fortunately for Abraham, God was protecting them, and there was an engagement period, there's a period of waiting before Pharaoh could take her as his wife. And so God was protecting Sarah and God was protecting Abraham. But Abraham may have been enjoying all the stuff and he may have been enjoying all the benefits of that lie. And a lie may give you short-term results, but there's long-term consequences. Verse, verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh, watch this, so interesting. So Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this you have done to me? For those of us who have been betrayed, for those of us who have been lied to, for those of us who have been uh, misled or any of those things, you know those emotions, right? You know those deep emotions when someone has lied to you, when someone has betrayed you, and you've looked at them and says, why have you done this to me? I mean, why have you done this to me? This just hurts so bad. And then he goes on. Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? In other words, why didn't you just tell me the truth? I mean, why, why didn't you just tell me the truth? Why, this betrayal, this hurt. I mean, there were consequences that Pharaoh was going through because of Abraham's lie. There were consequences that Sarah was going through because of that lie. And why did you say... In other words, why did you say she is my sister? So I took her for my wife. I mean, you just hear the hurt. You hear the frustration of Pharaoh. Now then, this is what Pharaoh says. is an amazing verse, verse 19. Now then, here is your wife. In other words, I'm, I'm speaking the truth. She is not your sister. She's your wife. So here's your wife. Take her and go. God was protecting Abraham and God was protecting Sarah. It was within Pharaoh's right. That's why verse 17 is so amazing. It was in Pharaoh's right to where he could, have, he could have had Abraham put to death. And he could have still taken Sarah as his wife. Here's why that's so important. God still loved Abraham even in the midst of a lie. God still loved Abraham even when he took a different path than God had called him to. And God still loves us when we stray from him, when we sin. I mean, God cared deeply about Abraham. And God cared deeply about Sarah. And he cared deeply about Abraham in every season of his life. Why do we lie? Selfish. Why do we lie? So things will go well for us. Why do we lie? Because sometimes we care more about our reputation than we care about our character. And God cares. I'm telling you, reputation is what other people think of you. Character is what God thinks of you. Character is who you are. So how do we tell the truth? How do we build relationships, especially in a, in a time in which we live? 
How do we build relationships that are, are truth-building relationships? To where you have relationships that are just intimate and just deep because they're, they're, they're truth-telling. I want to give you four things. And these four things, you have to have all four of these things in place to stand. It's a lot like a, a four-legged chair that if it's missing a leg, the chair will not stand and it will not be stable. The same thing is true in any relationship. And I want to give you four things for you to process through about this issue of trust. So if you're going to, if you're going to tell the truth, the way that you tell the truth, the first one is this, you must be willing to tell the truth completely. You must come to the place in your life to where you're willing to tell the truth completely. I mean, that's why Proverbs talks about this issue over and over. And Proverbs would tell you this. Whenever someone holds back the truth, it causes problems. Whenever someone holds back the truth, tells a half-truth, conceals something, doesn't reveal everything, it always causes problems in the life of a believer, in the life of a person. And what kind of problems does it cause? It can build resentment. It can build bitterness. It can build mistrust. You have a superficial relationship because you know this. You can't be really intimate. You can't really be close to an individual that you cannot trust. And so that's where you come to the place to where you, you mean what you say and you, you, you tell the whole truth and you, you face issues in your relationship. Listen, let me just tell you this. If you're not being honest with your, your, your feelings, if you're not being honest with the issues or your feelings in your marriage right now, you're undermining your marriage. Relationships, deep relationships are built on honesty and built on truth to where you speak the truth uh, completely. Watch this, Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward, now that word afterwards is important. That's, I know you probably don't care the words I circle in my Bible, but that's circled in my Bible um, or underlined or highlighted on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on my tablet. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who, he who flatters with his tongue. So that word afterward is just very important. In other words, that word afterwards means this. It may be unpleasant at first. It may be difficult. It may be an awkward conversation. It may be a dif difficult conversation. But Proverbs says this. Guess what? When you're willing to have that awkward conversation, when you're willing to speak the truth completely, yes, it may be difficult in that conversation, but afterwards you're going to find favor. Afterwards it's going to be a deeper relationship. The opposite, true. Guess what? If you choose not to speak the truth completely, the Scripture's totally different. It may not be awkward at first, but it's going to be awkward when it's exposed. See, a lot of people, and we could probably do a show of hands this morning and say, okay, whoever, who, who believes in this statement? Honesty is always the best policy. We'd probably all raise our hands. We'd probably all agree with that until we realize that honesty may require an awkward conversation or honesty may require a confrontation. And then all of a sudden, you know, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's that good of an idea. The Bible says this. The Bible says the opposite. When we're willing to have those difficult conversations, those awkward conversations, in the end, later on, afterwards, Proverbs 16, 13, righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he who loves him who speaks what is right. Can I just tell you this? One of the greatest acts of love, speaking the truth. When you just speak the truth completely to an individual, it's an act of love. 
So the first thing is this. If you're going to learn to tell the truth, you've got you to tell the truth completely. The second thing is this, is you've got to tell the truth consistently. In other words, being honest 80% of the time is not being honest. Being honest 80% of the time is not being a person of integrity. It's like the little boy who cried wolf over and over and over. And sooner or later, nobody really believed him. Listen, you may be telling the truth and you may tell the truth 80% of the time. But that's not telling the truth consistently because in a relationship, when you do tell the truth, people are going to wonder, they're just going to wonder, is this the 80% or is this the 20%? I mean, is, is this the truth or is this that 20%? See, in other words, this issue of honesty, honesty has to become a lifestyle. In other words, it has to be something you have to be consistent at. Proverbs 11.3, the integrity of the upright guides them, but crookedness and treacherous destroy them. It's what happened to Abraham, right? It's what happened to Abraham in Egypt. That's what Brian Williams is going through right now. One lie, one lie can destroy trust, can destroy a relationship, can bring consequences in. I mean, when you look at that word in, 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 in the Bible, destroy, it's, it, I just wrote in the margin, margin of my Bible is this, dishonesty destroys. Dishonesty destroys relationships. Dishonesty re destroys friends. Dishonesty re destroys long-term relationships. Because here's the real issue. Nobody has a good enough memory to be a good liar. Because to be a good liar, you've got to remember what story you told to who and why and when and all of the details and everything. And sooner or later, dishonesty destroys. Sooner or later, you're going to be exposed. See, this issue of dishonesty, it damages character. That's why God's so worried about this in relationships. That's why God's so worried about this in your life. Because it damages, uh, it damages uh, a character in your life. See, truth-telling produces truth-building in relationships. Deception destroys trust. Because they're wondering, is this the time they're honest or is this the time they're dishonest? Like, occasionally people will stop me and they'll say, can we just talk to you for a second? I'm like, sure. And they says, you know, we've been married for a while and for the last 10 years we've been dealing with the same issue over and over and over. And it's just, it's just like we, we cannot make any headway. Do you have any advice for us? And I always say the same thing. I, I just look at them and says, you know what, I'm going to tell you. If you've been trying to deal with the same issue over a period of 10 years over and over and over, somebody is not telling the truth. Someone is not being honest about their feelings. Someone, it, it may be one, or it may be both of you. I'm telling you, the greatest marriage counselor in the world cannot help you if you refuse to be honest and to speak the truth. So, the third thing is this. If you're going to tell the truth, you've got to tell the truth lovingly. You've got to tell the truth completely. You've got to tell the truth consistently. You've got to tell the truth lovingly. Verse 15 out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. In other words, we don't use truth as a club. We don't use truth as, as a bat. We don't use truth as a weapon. We, we don't use truth in a way that hurts people. I'm just telling you, all four of these things have to be in play. I mean, when you start looking at the way that people change and, and the process that people change, there, there's basically two things that are helpful for people when, when they want to change. People change easier and faster when you speak the truth in a spirit of love. When they know at the end of the day, you love them. You really want the best for them. And people change easier and quicker and faster and all those other things when, it's, when truth is given in a spirit of love. 
the same is true. People will always perceive truth without love as, as an attack. It, it may be truth. It may be right. But if love is not attached to that, then they will always perceive it as, as an attack. I mean, you may ask yourself, well, how do I know? How do I know? Is it words I use? How do I know if I'm speaking the truth in love? I, I would give you just a few questions. Uh, one is this, before you speak the truth in love, ask yourself the question, who is going to benefit by this? I mean, what is my motivation for telling? Is this to benefit me? Is this to benefit them? Is this to make things easier for me? Is it to make things easier for them? Am I really wanting them to change just to benefit me? Or is it really because I love them? Is it really because I have their best interest at heart? Ephesians 4.29 tells us this, that no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. The fourth and the last one is, is you have to tell the truth tactfully. Whenever you share a tough truth, whenever you're going to have an awkward conversation, you've got to learn to speak the truth tactfully, proper timing, all those other things. After every service, as I've stepped out in the lobby, usually a group of men have, have met me immediately and say, hey, can you flesh that out tactfully? That's what we're having trouble with. And so I know type A personalities, and I know sometimes that's difficult. But whenever you have this issue, you've got to understand that you've got to speak the truth tactfully. You've got to speak the truth with love. In other words, let, let, let's just stop right here. And maybe, maybe there's just some things you need to consider right now. Who are you not being, who are you not being honest with? in your life right now? What problem maybe in your marriage? What problem in your family? What problem in your relationships are you ignoring right now that you know is a problem? What are you pretending that is not there between you and a spouse, you, you and a child or, or in the family? I was raised in a family to where we just pretended nothing was ever wrong. We just shoved a bunch of stuff under the rug and we, then when it got too big, we put it in a closet and, and nobody ever lifted up the rug. Nobody, nobody ever opened up the closet because we just didn't deal with it. I mean, what are, what are you unwilling to, what will you not face because you're afraid to face the truth? I mean, the scripture says that the truth sets you free. And when you learn to speak the truth consistently and, and lovingly and tactfully and completely, the scripture says, man, the scripture says it will set you free. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like a sword that thrust. That's without tact. I mean, it just hurts. But the tongue of the wise, the tongue of the wise brings healing. You have an option with your words. You can either hurt people or you can heal people with the truth. You can develop people, build up what, what Ephesians says, or you can destroy people. You can either build them up or you can tear them down. And what he's saying here is, is your words, and you know this, your words have tremendous power. And it, physical wounds many times heal a lot quicker than emotional wounds. And some of us, we may carry some emotional wounds that go all the way back to childhood. When someone lied to us, when someone betrayed us, when someone hurt us deeply, and what... What the writer is saying is, is learning to speak the truth in love and to speak it in such a way that you use tact. In other words, this emotional health is to where, is to where you come to the point in your life to end a conversation. You can make a point without making an enemy. It doesn't become personal. 
There's no words attached to that. There's no attack attached to that. It's, it's, just, it's just tactful. See, emotional health is this place that, that you can come to in life to where you can have those conversations. You can make a point without making an enemy. Proverbs 16.23 says this. says, The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. That word, that word wise in the Hebrew basically means this. Contemplate before you communicate. A rash words thrust. But tactful words brings healing. Sometimes when you have to have those awkward conversations, there is nothing wrong with planning out your presentation. There is nothing wrong with writing it out. There is nothing wrong with going back through your conversation to make sure there's no personal attacks. Because your goal is to make a point without making an enemy. Being tactful is his ability to choose the right time when they're not tired and when they're not fatigued or when you're not about ready to enter Egypt to where there was nothing that she could say but yes. This issue of truth is so important for us to understand. If we're going to build relationships that last a lifetime to where we don't come to the place to where we just grow apart we're just roommates but we have a love and we have a relationship that lasts this issue of trust trust that builds is so important in our relationship and our relationship with the Lord we're going to enter into a time of of just communion or the of the Lord's Supper and we just want to carry this thought through as, as, as we take of the bread and as we, as we take of the, of the juice. And our ushers are going to begin passing out the, the elements. And as they pass out the bread and as they pass out the juice, I'm just going to ask you that as a plate comes by, there's two cups, one on top of the other. And I'm just going to ask you that you take both of those cups off out, uh, that you hold, hold them in place, you pass the plate to the person next to you, in just a few minutes, we're going to take together as a, as a church family. You may be here this morning, you may be wondering, can, can anybody partake in, in communion? And the answer is yes, as long as you meet the biblical requirements. And that is you come to the place where you've accepted Christ and that you're a believer. And that you're walking with him. If that's you this morning, you don't have to be a member of Fellowship of the Rockies to take of the bread and take of the juice. But you do have to meet the biblical requirements. This last week... And I'm going to read this scripture. The scripture is not going to come up on the screens. But, but this last week in life journaling, for those of you that are life journaling with us, came across Psalm 15. David writes that psalm. And David asked a question of the Lord that, that I ask often. David asked a question, how can I enter into your presence in a deep way? How, Lord, how can I enter into your presence? How can I steward your presence? How can I steward your presence where there's blessing and, and I know that I have this, this relationship with you that is just deep and not superficial? The answer was just so interesting to me. And I'm going to read Psalm 15 as we, in just a few minutes, take of the bread and take of the juice for you to meditate on. Here's what Psalm 15 says. O oh Lord, who shall, who shall sojourn in your tent? That's just a picture of coming into the tabernacle. That's just a picture of entering into the presence of God. Who shall dwell 
on your holy hill? That's another question phrased a different way. How do I enter into your presence? And here's the answer. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. There's that word. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up reproach against his friend. In who eyes a vile person is despised. But who honors those who fear the Lord? Who swears to his own hurt and does not change? Because he honors his word. Who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent? Watch this. This is the phrase that rocked my world. He who does these things he who speaks the truth in love honestly and completely and lovingly and tactfully he who does these things shall never be moved that's how you walk in his presence that's how you walk in his protection that's how you walk in his blessing would you meditate on those words take of the bread the scripture says but before we take of the bread we remember we remember what Christ has done for us and I am so thankful that truth binds us to him that Jesus Christ did exactly what he said he was going to do the scripture says God cannot lie and because of that, we, we can trust him. Jesus told the disciples, said, I, I don't want you to be worried, but I, I'm going to go to the cross. And I'm going to lay down my life for you. Nobody's going to take it from me. I'm going to lay, I'm willingly going to lay down my life for you. As a sacrifice, I'm the Messiah. I'm the, the perfect one. And I don't want you to be upset. I don't want you to be concerned. Because I'm just telling you on the third day, you wait for that third day because the third day I'm, I'm going to rise again. And I'm going to conquer death and I'm going to conquer sin. And because of my sacrifice, because of me going to the cross, you can live in freedom. Because it's truth that sets you free. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father 
except through me, Jesus Christ. When we understand that, and we understand truth has been spoken, and I am all that he says I am, I am deeply loved in him. I am perfect in him. I have the righteousness of Christ. I am totally and completely forgiven. Truth binds me to him. That I no longer have to worry about my reputation. I no longer have to worry what people are saying about me because that is not truth. I am who he says I am. And that's what we remember. That's what he set us free from. And so as we take of the bread, it's symbolic of his body that was broken for us. So we'd have forgiveness. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. By the power of your word, by the power of your name, may we understand what you have done for us. And may we just rest in that. And may it cause us to live different lives because of a relationship with us. May we desire your presence in our lives, which causes us to live life differently because we're yours and because we're believers. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take with me, please? Scripture also says that without the shedding of blood, there'd be no forgiveness of sin. And Christ on the cross shed his blood for us for the remission of sin, for the forgiveness of sin. Father, we thank you for your blood that was shed on that cross. And Father, we thank you that our identity is not in the past, our identity is not in our sin. Our identity is found in Christ. Our identity is found in you and you alone. We thank you that we're forgiven. And may we live life without the chains of the past, but may we live life in freedom. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take with me? Just one more time, would you just bow your heads with me and close your eyes? The only reason we ask for heads bowed and eyes closed is just so there's no distractions. We're just so easily distracted in, in our society and in our time. And maybe you just sit before him. And let me just ask, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? More importantly, what is your next step? What would he like for you to do? Maybe your next step is a first step to where you just come to the place and say, I need him in my life. And I ask him to come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and give me the gift of eternal life. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're a believer. Is there anything in relationships that you're ignoring? Do you need to become a truth teller to learn to speak the truth completely and consistently and lovingly and tactfully? So there's freedom in relationships. Maybe this morning you'd say, you know what, I, I'm carrying a burden and I, and I, I, I just need prayer. I just need someone just, just to pray for me, to add their faith to my faith, 
Well, guess what? We, we want to do that. The fact is, we have a whole ministry designed for that. So if you're carrying a burden, whether it's a financial issue, a medical issue, a, a relational issue, uh, maybe you're praying about trying to discern out the future, what God would have you to do. Maybe you want to pray for someone else. You know what? Maybe you're carrying a burden that has nothing to do with what I've talked about this morning. But God's just laid a burden on your heart. And you just know, I just need prayer. Then we're going to invite you to respond to him. We're going to invite you to respond to that. So after I pray in just a few minutes, as we stand, if you're carrying a burden in any area of your life, as you stand up, you just step out, begin making your way down to the front. You don't have to walk along. People will be walking with you. We'll have prayer partners that will join you down here, and they would love to pray for you. So if you need prayer, you come after I pray and we stand. Father, we thank you. We just thank you for the power of your name. Father, we thank you that truth binds us to you and to one another. May we understand what that means. And Father, I just pray for those this morning that are carrying a burden. Father, would they know that you want to you lift that burden and that we do that by ministering one to another. And may we minister one to another this morning. Father, may prayers be answered. Would people know that they've come into your presence this morning? Would we add our faith to, to their faith? And would they find encouragement, support, and comfort this morning? Father, we just look forward to see what you're going to do. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.